you know that you can't do the same thing everywhere and you have to be forgiving. You have to dummy proof. You have to trust your staff. I think number one, most important thing ever is to build a team, a really good team. Very wise words coming from our guest today, who has held her own as one of the top chefs in our industry, as well as having a successful woman-owned and operated business that has been slinging noodles for nearly a decade now in New York, one of the toughest restaurant cities in America. Let's get right into it, because this one is going to fire you up. Today's guest is a highly respected chef from New York City, who is making me super nervous right now. <laughs> she is a celebrity chef that has appeared on TV shows such as Beat Bobby Flay, Chopped, Iron Chef, and countless others. She is an inspirational role model to many of us, an amazing chef and friend, chef owner of Mok Bar, a Korean-inspired ramen shop in the city. Please welcome Esther Choi. Yeah. Wow, thank you. <laughs> Kezo, why are you being like that? Why are you nervous? <laughs> I'm always You're making nervous me nervous now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been so long. I mean, you're super famous now. <laughs> oh my God. No, hardly. <laughs> like, seriously. Yeah, I really appreciate it, though. This is going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Any, any chance to like talk about ramen and, you know, all yeah. the things. All the things. I, I like talking about food. So you know, any opportunity for that, I'm down for it. Yeah, well, let's let's get straight into it. I mean, you yeah. own Mok Bar, which is kind of your take on ramen, which is pretty awesome. And I want to get into that. But just tell us a little bit about your history. I know you attended ICE in uh, Manhattan and, you know, how you fell in love with food and how you opened up a ramen shop. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of, I guess, I mean, I, it's a long story, obviously, <laughs> but um, I fell in love with food at a very young age, um, like cooking with my grandmother, and she really taught me how to love food. And I think ultimately, that's why I ended up, you know, uh, making it my career. And so um, I didn't, I didn't, all the things, you know, went to culinary school, uh, cooked in, you know, several restaurants in New York, but I kind of took like the, um, more untraveled path, I guess. Um, yeah. I, I didn't work at any Michelin restaurants or anything like that. It, it A lot of the restaurants I worked at were large scale um, restaurants, you know, that had over 300 seats, um, usually something like ethnic, uh, Mexican, Lebanese, like things like that. And then I kind of turned gears and, and worked in uh, food television for a bit in production. And then um, I decided to open my own restaurant. Uh, but that always has been sort of like the end goal for me. You know, I've yeah. always wanted to have my own business and open my own restaurant. Um, not necessarily ramen, to be honest, but at that time when I was, you know, uh, bidding for this space in Chelsea Market, um, ramen was, you know, the the thing. It, it was the hottest item, you know, everywhere. It, it was very trendy. I mean, still pretty trendy, but that was when it was, you know, people were just finding out about ramen. So um, I kind of took the concept of ramen and use that as a vehicle to introduce Korean food to, to New, New Yorkers, basically. That's how yeah. my part was born. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought that was pretty awesome. When I first heard about you, like I started living in New York at, in 2013 mm -hmm. and you know, everyone knows I kind of created the ramen burger back then, but I remember yeah. hearing yeah. about, you know, this, this celebrity chef, opening up a ramen shop and I wanted to know who it was and then I found out it was you and I was like really excited because you know getting someone with your background and being Korean American to do their take I know Koreans have like ramyun and stuff mm -hmm. but which is essentially like ramen you know mm -hmm. so to have a shop like that more focused on a Korean style than a Japanese style was pretty exciting and to, to have it be in the new Chelsea market was was pretty cool. So I, I remember, you know, telling my friend, hey, let's go check it out. So so we did. 
<laughs> oh my God. I still, and I still remember the day you came in and that's funny that you say that uh, celebrity chef, that's really crazy. I mean, now maybe more so, but back then I was literally a nobody. And I remember looking up to you. I've, I learned a lot, like reading your blog and, you know, I followed your career a long time before I even opened uh, Mokbar. So I was obviously very familiar with your work and a big fan as well. Um, and when I remember when you walked in, uh, I knew immediately I was like, oh, shit. Um, <laughs> oh, shit. Wow. You know, I, and I still remember what you ordered. You ordered the chicken ramen, I believe. Yeah. Um, I, I made that bowl myself for you. Um and I remember all the notes that you gave me. I remember it very detailed. And um, I don't yeah. even remember. <laughs> you don't remember. <laughs> but, you know, perhaps a person that's getting critiqued and asking for advice always remembers these types of moments. And for me, um, very much uh, respecting the ramen culture and um, and for me to come in and kind of like change it or whatever, what was kind of like... A, you know, it, it's a scary thing to do. And I was, I was very nervous always like, okay, well, am I going to earn the respect of, you know, both Korean culture and both like the Japanese ramen culture as well. So like, that was really important for me. And so, um, I took it very seriously, you know, I, I tried to yeah. learn as much as possible. I kept an open mind and I always tried to evolve, uh, which was, you know, which is probably one of the most important things about being a chef. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna lie. I I didn't know what to expect at first, but then when I did try your food and try your ramen, I believe I had the kimchi ramen as well, and I could tell, you know, it's being made with the chef's interpretation and your background, you know, with that influence. So, you know, ramen is that type of food where it needs that, you know, it needs that passion from the chef. So I I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, and you and I. I think I, I totally agree with you. Um, it's funny because when actual like ramen connoisseurs or chefs taste like my, my style ramen, they're much more forgiving than actually like some kind of like <laughs> random person, you know, on the street, because you understand like the nuances and, you know, how much time and effort it took to build that one bowl, which not a lot of people understand, you know? So let's, walk through like opening up your first moke bar i mean you have like a, a few now um, but chelsea market the challenges of being in a food hall and doing i guess you know you're not limited with seats you have a lot of takeout orders so it could get pretty crazy right right um i mean i'm not gonna lie Kezo, it was so <laughs> crazy i mean it's still hard you know it's it's yeah. still such a tough business and um, I, I mean, now Mukbar is, you know, almost like nine years old, eight, eight, nine years old. And, wow. um, I know it's kind of crazy. Um, but when I first opened, we, you know, had bar seating. I wanted to do, it was my first restaurant. You know, I really wanted to, you know, do it right. I wanted, I didn't want it to be a takeout spot, but I knew that Chelsea market is a takeout spot, yeah. Like you can't kind of go away from what it is. So, you know, I had to pitch a concept to the market that worked on their end too, meaning like sales, meaning like they need to have see volume. So, you know, my whole thing was like, okay, so we're going to serve ramen, you know, um, and do table service and do like the real bowls and all that stuff. But we're also going to do takeout and that's going to be like half of our business. And I remember back then, everybody was like anti takeout for ramen, you know, yeah. especially Japanese chefs. It's like, oh, what <laughs> and i mean now you see it's come such a long way but back then when you know when people were like really serious about like ramen culture um there you're you're not allowed to take ramen out you know you, you can't even take your leftovers home right yeah i think I mean, yeah, sure going still... back <laughs> going back to like times in japan you know if these japanese chefs they would never do takeout like that wasn't a thing so um, coming to America and trying to work that into the model has always been a challenge. And, and of course, you're never going to be satisfied with it because it's such yeah. a different, <laughs> it's yeah, it's so just different am animal. Like when you eat it at, you know, when it's cold and warm or warm and, and at home instead yeah. of like right in front of you. 
Exactly. Exactly. And also like the texture of the noodles, like just everything changes. I mean, it's just like not the same and it will never be the same. Um, So I, I, I kind of like understood that, but I also, you know, am a business person and I needed my shop to succeed for many reasons. So um, I focused heavily on takeout um, and that was literally and still is the biggest part of our business. Um, since then, obviously, we we evolved and, you know, and where we changed a lot of the things that we do. But, you know, the purity of what it was when I first opened, like it will never be there. You know, I, I just yeah. and I think about it. I'm like, oh, man, I was so passionate back then. I, <laughs> you know, I mean, I still am. But like, you know, you have to like just kind of give give into a lot of things uh, when it comes to running a business. Yeah, the hustle is real in New York, especially Chelsea market, especially with these rents, it's, you know, I remember you were telling me you would make like soup in the kitchen in the basement or something. You have to like bring it all the way up. And (laughs) so, yeah. And that was a real challenge because like space, right. We, I tried making the soups in the basement. Obviously it didn't work because there's no ventilation and it was just like a total shit show. (laughs) Oh my God. And you, I tried, we got those like giant induction. Yeah. um, do you remember those stockpot? Like I spent a lot of money buying those and it just like, it broke, it like didn't work. And, you know, it, it was just like a total nightmare, you know? Yeah, I think you told me about those. So I actually used those in my factory later on too. Oh, you did? Because I didn't oh. have, I didn't have any stoves. And then during uh-huh. pandemic, I was making those kits, right? So I was doing everything on induction. Did, how did it work out? Well, I'm sure they improved the technology since then. Um I think it was okay. It was better. I mean, but mm-hmm. you know, it's still difficult because it is induction. You can't yeah. get the right, you know, feel for a soup stock that when you're boiling the heck out of bones and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I feel you on on the pain <laughs> and trauma that I went through with those. Oh God, I forgot about that. That I like tried to do. Oh my God, that was a nightmare. Eventually, I just had to. Uh, do the stock production on the cooking line yeah. so can you imagine we still do that right now which is kind of crazy wow. doing like push, pushing out like you know 300 plus orders but yet still like having to like pull stock in the middle of shift i mean it's just it, i mean we figured out like the way but it's not perfect <laughs> so, yeah that's crazy yeah. I, I when i opened up my shop in downtown and financial district i remember we had that same challenge of trying to like fulfill, you know, 300, 400 plus orders a day with only like one or two stockpots ranges in the kitchen yeah. is like virtually impossible. Almost. <laughs> exactly. And you have to kind of like give a lot, like you just have to not give up on like certain, yeah. you know, dreams, but like, honestly, like there's just some things that you just have to be like, all right, like, what is it? Like you have to survive, right? So you have to get give in to a lot of these things. Which- yeah, unfortunately, that that's the challenge in itself, right? You know, trying to still make it up to your standards, but at mm-hmm. the same time, make volume. Because um, mm-hmm. New York rents are not forgiving. You know, mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. financial district, we were paying like almost 17000 in rent. And it's like, my partner was like, you can't close shop because you run out of soup. Like add water. Yeah. Into- <laughs> <laughs> Diluted. Yeah. Like, like buy the stock. Like, and you're like, hell no. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. It's it's always that kind of like push and pull with like the business side and then like your creative, like passionate chef side. And it's it's a constant battle. And- yeah. I mean, that's what I admire most about you and like watching you from a distance, like assembling an amazing team around you as well to be able to not only do one shop correctly, but, you know, multiple shops. <laughs> it's uh, thank you. Thank you for that. But um, obviously, you know, at, for me as a chef, um, it, it's definitely not up to my standards, you know, like I, I'm just, yeah. I always go crazy and it drive myself nuts over you know obsessing over like the details but also like I know that I can't do that if I want to you know scale so you know I had to kind of like you know think about like what works for me and what doesn't and I had to kind of you know give up on a lot of like menu items and shave a a lot of things off of the menu and you know compromise I have to compromise 
Definitely, which, you know, definitely understand. That, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to do it, but it's like, you know, you have to, right? So with expansion just comes that sort of mentality. And I think now I just kind of am at peace at saying like, okay, mock bar, this is what it is. You know, we're, yeah. you know, and I changed the concept since being like, ramen shop to more of like an eatery now we do like ramen bowls and rice bowls because rice is easier to control yeah um ramen is is, is a very 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 difficult thing you know it, it's like you said it you need to put in all of your love and passion into it even as like a cook like yeah. and that that's what was just so hard like not every cook or chef will have that same sort of mentality in in building that one beautiful bowl yeah, that's definitely valuable information for our listeners because most of them are like aspiring home chefs that want to open up a ramen shop someday. Um, oh, wow. I have a lot of people <laughs> ask me about that and I say, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> oh my God, Kezo, we, we give the same advice. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> but you know, like these guys really are passionate about it and need to open it to really know, like they don't listen to us right yeah. off the bat. So. You know, I have a lot of close friends that are getting ready or have just recently opened shops and and they're starting to understand the pain. Um, but I guess, you know, if if you are passionate about it, it kind of eases that pain and it makes you like want to struggle and like keep going and pushing. I think mean, I've, I've felt like that for many, many years, even still to this day. So I'm sure you do, too, right? I I feel like you kind of like figured it out in in terms of like the beauty of ramen though, because your passion over drives everything, right? You you like you've done it, and you know, and that's why it's it's like to you that struggle <laughs> is like not even a struggle anymore. I'm sure. Um, well, I think that's why investors hate me now because I know when to pull a plug. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, but it's better to do it when yeah. you know, right? Yeah, I mean, I've gone through a lot of situations, the same thing, you know, even had the ramen shack was like a 10 seat shop that was under my control. Mm -hmm. And even that was a struggle, you know, every day, um, just trying to keep going and keep doing things right. You know, I'm sure you're the same way, but every day you come in, you're like, on those days that you struggle, those weeks you struggle, you think, man, I just need to make it easier. I just need to do this. I, I can't make it like this anymore. I just need to teach people to just make it easy. <laughs> All day. Always. Yeah. Always. Uh, but so, like sometimes there's a, such a beauty in like just doing everything yourself because you know it will be right. Yeah. But then, of course, that takes a toll on your physical and mental health as well. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I tried to do that with the most recent ramen shack in San Juan Capistrano because um, we had the Omicron mm -hmm. hit us in, in January, February, and then, you know, had to kind of slow down production and just really concentrate on doing everything myself. And we, it was great and all, and it's fun. But yeah, like you said, it takes a toll after a while. Right. And you can't, I'm getting a lot older, so you can't really just do everything yourself anymore. No, I feel it. I feel you. But can you, like, that's why it's so amazing when you see, like, someone who had a ramen, like, I'm sure in Japan you meet these, you know, chefs that had their one ramen shop for, like, 30 years and they did the same thing for 30 years. Like, it's yeah. insane. Like, it's it, so crazy. It is insane. Like, yeah, my, some of my favorite shops in Tokyo are those ones that have been around for like 50 years. And, you know, mm -hmm. the master's like in his 60s or 70s, and he's still doing the same thing every single day. Um, I honestly, I want to get like that someday, but it's very tough, especially I, I to think, do in America. Yeah. And <laughs> also, I just feel like that's a very like romantic dream. Like yeah. it there's some sort of like melodramatic romance in that idea of like doing that for like 40 years. But I, but like in reality, modern day life, it's like almost nearly impossible and also like kind of like miserable too. Yeah. Right. Definitely. Yeah. I guess it's, I don't know. Like it's funny because, you know, I've interviewed these knife makers in Sakai and they're like the dying generation of, of knife makers, like no one to pass it on to. And from their point, it's like, I don't want my kids to take on this task, like this job. Mm -hmm. I don't want to hand it down to them because 
it's a tough job and I don't really like doing it, but this is all I know how to do. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, maybe those ramen shop owners are like that as well. You know, mm -hmm. not all of them, but, um, you know, the ones that they just don't know how to do anything else and they've been doing it for so long that they're just accustomed to living that way. Right, right. It's both, both this kind of sad, but also you know, kind admirable. of, we, we be great, yeah. yeah, admirable. And we should be so grateful to be in the generation that we are. Right. Yeah. I think maybe the older generation has a lot more like, uh, I don't know, grit, you know, they're grit, able to yeah. just like keep doing like, I guess nowadays where we're like with the social media stuff, it's like our attention span is like so short and we do want to do all these different things. So um, maybe that's our problem. <laughs> yeah, that is our problem now. Yeah. Like wanting to do like too much and thinking that we could do everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like, how do you find that medium ground, the beauty of both, which I think Keizo, exactly. you and I are always trying to do. Yeah, I think no matter what, I mean, ramen and otherwise, like with my kids, I mean, it's always trying to find that balance in the median. Um, it's tough. <laughs> it's so tough. Um, so do do you um you're you're still operating your ramen shop, right? No, I actually we closed at the end of July. Um, oh, you did. Okay. My my partners wanted to change the concept, and basically, I, you know, I I I, I was having some health issues that I'm getting over right now, but um, ultimately led to the decision to let them change it, and mm -hmm. I would step away from the project. Got it. Got it. And how do you, how do you feel? Like, are you relieved or? Um... I, I am definitely relieved in a sense, you know, I, I miss making ramen. I miss eating <laughs> my own ramen. Um, Cause unfortunately I still think like LA here is lacking um, in the lighter broths. You know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of tonkotsu um, as in New York, there's a lot of tonkotsu, but um, the chintans and the chicken broths, there's not too much over here anymore. Mm-hmm. I agree. Even in New York. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how do you think starting in 2014 and then now in 2022, how has the ramen scene kind of changed in New York? I feel like a lot, a lot in, in the sense where just like the dining scene, I feel like has changed so much. Right. Yeah. Um, just in general, uh, it's, it's, it's evolved since, since, there's so many more people. I mean, there's a lot of shops and restaurants that like open and close or stay open or whatever. Um, but really, I think everyone still seeks out to eat ramen, but it ha it's, it doesn't have that kind of like notoriety that it used to have, I feel like. You know, like people used to like, when a ramen shop opened, people swarm, like it would just be crazy. People swarm their lines, trying to get a taste of that bowl. Like that kind of culture has somewhat, you know, disappeared, I feel like, you know, yeah. do you agree? Or maybe it's just, I think, I, yeah, I agree, because it seems like it's more of, I wouldn't say like, like classy dining, like people want mm -hmm. that experience. You know, the the successful ramen shops in New York right now are like the Tonchin, mm -hmm. or like the No No No's or Ibudo's still, you know, like people go there to hang out and mm -hmm. chill. Yeah. And you have to have like everything on the menu, not yeah. just ramen. Yeah. And a lot of those like old school ramen shops, like Mankuite, uh, um, what yeah. else is there? Like all, a lot of those are all like closed now. So it's it's kind of sad. <laughs> it is kind of sad. But then there's also like so many ramen shops too. Like, yeah. well, like all, all, all those restaurants are like now, now doing ramen too. Like, you know, it's kind of like you, you, you pull up a job, like, Japanese sushi restaurant menu and they have ramen you know yeah. like everybody has ramen now right so it, it's kind of like getting diluted in a weird sense but then you know obviously there are like the real nicer place places but like that culture of like what ramen kind of used to be you know with you know, I, I just remember like so many that popped up that only had like 10 seats 20 seats and it was like real like that kind of like real like culture disappeared kind of I mean, yeah, I'm I think, sure there are connoisseurs still out there, but a lot of that has kind of subsided. I think that excitement has kind of faded. You know, mm -hmm. I remember when you opened and when when I was opening Ramen Shack, you know, there was 
a much more like excitement to ramen shops and ramen like you're like you said so mm-hmm. i don't know maybe it's the pandemic that kind of derailed that but hopefully it can come back i think new york is like the best city that will kind of judge how food uh will prosper in america so yeah I, but it's 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 like this it's it's has become so much of a regular diet which is great you know it it's kind of like yeah. when something goes like very it's generic now or you know it, it's just part of the culture already so it's like nothing new and exciting yeah when ramen back when we did it when it was first kind of like starting to wave it was so new people were like so excited to learn about this like different types of ramen and etc but now it's more so like oh what's this different types type of cuisine we've never tried it's it's more kind of evolved into that realm which is great too you know people are just being more educated but you know it's it's good to see that people still like eat ramen kind of on a weekly basis you know back then people didn't because they were still like learning about it um so so, well let me say this real quick uh the listeners can't see this but my background is a picture of you know when milk bar first opened back in 2014 and the the menu is actually right there and it says ramen is 12 dollars. that's oh so cheap <laughs> how much well, is ramen I, now <laughs> you know what i was a little taken aback when i saw you in that photo i'm like wait <laughs> also like our entire design changed um that looks so dated oh my gosh and you actually that person the hat back on the line that's me oh yeah I know I know I recognize it (laughs) oh my god I'm embarrassed um (laughs) oh my god 12 dollars and I remember when I first opened I I remember thinking like the ramen can't be expensive because like that's not what ramen culture is so it was really important to me um to not price the ramen high uh so yeah 12 dollars wow (laughs) yeah I mean I love that too I mean yeah. When I opened Ramen Shack at Smorgasburg, like my bowl was like seven dollars, which was oh insane. Gosh. But but I I get that idea. Like, um, I wanted it to be cheap, accessible. You know, just so someone can just come have a quick like snack or meal, and that's it. But obviously, you learn quickly that it's not sustainable in New York. No, it's not. <laughs> Like people like we're so passionate and it's not about, you know, when we first start, obviously it's, it's never about, you know, how much money to make. It, yeah. It's really more about like, how, how do we like, how do we contribute to the culture? You know, how exactly. do we share something, um, a piece of us uh, and how do we make it accessible? I think that's really important too. Um, so like whoever wants to open a ramen shop, it, it's, should definitely not be for the money because you're not going to make any, you're not going to make <laughs> yeah. a lot of money. In, in job. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you care about it, you know, yeah. there's, I think going back to how ramen has become more popular and the barriers of entry to people making ramen have gotten slimmer because there's so much available now, like instant wise, I guess, like people, you know, can have a, just a, like a supermarket can buy like the stock and the noodles and whatever and just make ramen on the menu so there's really not much care put into that um but i guess that's a sign of a food becoming successful and you know being in demand like sushi kind of went through that phase as well you have all Mm -hmm. these like generic sushi restaurants that aren't really japanese or aren't really doing it right but people still eat there but then you have the other shops that are doing it properly so i think ramen in the future will probably get kind of like that as well and hopefully we're not going to be paying like hundred (laughs) dollars for a bowl of ramen but um, i'm sure someone uh, will figure out how to do that though (laughs) yeah i mean it, it definitely it deserves to be high priced like that because of the effort and the time that it takes to make it. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I struggle with that all the time too. Like I, I know it can be an expensive like bowl, but I don't want to charge that much. You know, I still want it to be like enjoyable in a sense. So it's hard. I don't want it to be too high class. I just, you know, a bowl of ramen should just like soothe, soothe your mood, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's the chef in you though. Like the, yeah. the hospitality, the, you know, and it, and you just became a dad. So I'm sure like that type of like love that you put into something, you don't want it to like break the bank. Like it's it very similar to the way I think, I mean, 
that's why I've never worked in a fine dining restaurant because I just felt like it never, um, it, it just wasn't my style of cooking. I respect it, you know, and I acknowledge it and I love it, but I'm not that, you know, I, and I know my place, yeah. you know what I mean? Because it, that's not the way I, I want to cook or how I think about food um, as a chef, at least. But um, but yeah, I think the way you describe sushi is like perfect. Like ramen, you know, it's not that it went away. It just became so mainstream yeah. that people are not excited about it anymore because it's like everywhere. You know, when, when something's everywhere, you're just kind of like, oh, it's like ramen again. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's just what happens. But um I think that there's some still like very special thing about ramen um, and the special, the, the chefs and the people that really think of it as like a craft, there's such a beauty in that, you know, and I still respect it very much. There's just not many out there, which is, a, which is a sad thing. Well, well, let me ask you this. Like if you were to go back and start over, I'm sure you get asked this a lot, but <laughs> what, what kind of types of things would you change uh, maybe would you concentrate more on the business side and figure that side out first or, you know, stick to your values and as a chef? Man, that's a hard question. And you think that people <laughs> ask me this a lot. Actually, no, no, not many people ask me this um, because I, I haven't. I mean, I kind of like don't like to think about that because it makes me crazy. You know, it makes me like, yeah, oh my God. You. And then I feel like I regret stuff, which, you know, I don't like to live that way because I'm like, it already happened. What are you <laughs> going to do about it? Like, just move on. Right. I'm very like intentional with the way I try to like think. Um, but I mean, it's true. I, I still struggle, um, Kazo, right now, like every day. Uh, because when I remember when I first opened my shop um, like nine years ago, um, a lot of uh, chefs or business owners that has been in the industry for a while would always say the same thing to me. They would say, you got to pick one or the other. You got to pick being a chef and being the creative, or you got to pick the business. You can't do both. There's no yeah. way you can. there's like you, the sooner you pick, the better it will be for you. Right. And I thought about that every day for the past, like nine years of my life, of um, you know, doing this. And I still... I have not picked because I just, I just can't because I love them both so much. And I think, you know, I, I actually think that there is a way, you know, um, and I, you know, I've tried to do it. I'm not like very happy or anything, but, but I, I, I still strive to be, you know, um, successful or whatever that means. Um, but yeah, I still struggle and I'm always fighting within the two brains. Like I, I love, you know, I'm very, very passionate about food and I, I really have an obsession um, with cooking, but I also am a, an extreme business person. Like I, I'm crazy when it comes to like certain things, like my numbers and yeah. making sure things are right, operations, like building a team, like things like that excite me as well. And I feel like there can be creativity in that realm too. Um, but it, it is a struggle. I struggle with it every day. I'm like, I can't choose because I like it both. And well, I, still- I, I thought I was the only one. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm definitely in on the same boat. Like I got that like control freak thing in me where, you know, I want to be the chef and I want to be part of the business and control things that way. Um, that's how I did a lot of things on my own. Like I, I created Romberger, had that business, I had the ramen shack, I had the noodle factory and I was the only one like, I had no partners and I would say like, oh, I need somebody to help me with this, help me with that. I wish I had a partner. But in, in reality, I, I'm glad I didn't have a partner. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, that's the thing. Like you are a constant like reinventor of like you you always I, I've seen it, you know, throughout your career. You always, um, you know, reinvent things and make it your own and then and then you move on to the next thing like I see like that creative side in you and the entrepreneurial entrepreneurial spirit which you know not a lot of people have both so thank you yeah I mean I see that in you as well and uh, with that said let's kind of talk about Miss You which was (laughs) not a ramen concept but it was kind of like your dream to open up a sit-down restaurant like a full service, right? It still is because um, that was my attempt. 
I, I have, I have attempted at trying to open like a full scale restaurant. Um, like twice I did it with like Mukbar Brooklyn and I, then I did it with Miss You. I don't think that it kind of like worked out in the way that I imagined it to and not everything will obviously, as you know. Um, but you know, sometimes you just kind of like think like, okay, so it is what it is. And, and that was when I had to kind of just realize and choose, you know, what it is mm -hmm. and take it for what it is. And that was like kind of my business side where, you know, I, I knew that Miss You wasn't going to be the restaurant that I wanted it to be just because we had so many operational issues. And, and then I had like three partners on, on that project. Um, and Miss you, Miss you is a cocktail bar now, and it's extremely successful as a bar, mm -hmm. extremely. And um, we try to do it as like, you know, a full scale restaurant and like a real night, like, you know, sit down restaurant. And that's what I wanted. But unfortunately, you know, we weren't able to be successful because it's just too, it was too expensive. You know, the, yeah. just operating a restaurant versus operating a bar, obviously it's two totally different things. Um, so in that location, in that space, a restaurant concept was not it. And we tried. Um, and then, so after we knew that it wasn't, we switched it over and we're like, this, we're going to switch it to a bar and that's a cocktail bar. And since then we've been su super successful there and we still do food, but it's very bar, yeah. bar food, you know, burgers, tacos, you know, uh, yeah. sandwiches, things like that. Um, and I kind of had to kind of give up that, you know, again, the <laughs> passion side of things like, oh, I can't do my whole fried chicken stuffed with sticky rice. There was just, we tried doing, it was just a nightmare. Um, so like that, that's what happens, you know, and it's either you can move on from it or you accept it. And so for me, it was always like, just accept it for what yeah. it is and move on from that. Uh, so, so yeah, that that's the story of Miss You. I, I love Miss You to death. Um, and I'm still a big part of it and it's still my place. But uh, I do understand that I, I know what Miss You is, right? It's it's not a full-scale restaurant. And it's not the restaurant of my dreams. Do you think, like, starting a restaurant like Moak Bar and not having much experience in a restaurant, like, kind of hurts you in a sense when trying to do a full-scale restaurant? Because I feel like I, I feel my inexperience sometimes makes me struggle with the stuff that I'm doing. Definitely. I, I totally think so. I mean, I am definitely a believer in experience and that's the kind of um, the true, like, I guess, like um, school or teacher in life. Like you have to experience it and know it and grow from that. Right. And, and learn. And it, I mean, obviously, if you haven't worked in a full scale restaurant, then how would you know? But also there's some yeah. sort of like purity that comes from that, too, because you don't know you'll learn the struggles and work harder and try weird things that nobody in the regular world would try. Yeah. Right. Right. And that's for me was like Mukbar, like for sure. I've never operated a restaurant before myself. I mean, I worked in restaurants, but yeah. I was never really a manager anywhere. You know, I was, I was really young. I was like 27 or something. Um, and I never op obviously operated a business before, but I think that ultimately helped me as, as, an entrepreneur though um, definitely yeah you yeah, know what you, I mean. you learn a lot of stuff like struggling and you know from from like i don't know equipment failing mm -hmm. to trying to renegotiate a contract or something you know there's all kinds of things that you would probably have no idea going into a restaurant until you've done it so yeah exactly um, yeah and it's painful <laughs> It's but extremely yeah, that, painful. You got to rely on that purity, I guess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. That's the way I like to make myself feel better, actually. <laughs> but, I'm but the same. I feel the same way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, you got to make yourself feel better somehow. So I, that's how I like to say it. It's like, yeah, we were like innocent, pure. But it, you know, there is a thing of like nothing is be beneath you though like yeah. you, you you will you're willing to do everything and every anything so right now you have three locations of mukbar or two and one on the way so right now we have three operating one um uh we just opened 
in the Maryland DC area, but that's a license oh, nice. deal. Yeah. Um, and then I have one building right now on the way um, that's opening in November. So what is kind of like the key to scale your business and, you know, open up more than one shop? Is it like a central kitchen or is it just licensing? Like what? Take me, walk me through that. <laughs> I'm not an expert, but <laughs> but I will I will try to kind of give you my two cents on on how to do it. I think it is a lot of um, give give and take. Um, like I I know that we're not going to be able to. It, it's a um, how do how should I say it? Like you know that you can't do the same thing everywhere and you have to be forgiving. You have to dummy proof. You have to trust your staff. I think number one, most important thing ever is to build a team and a really good team. And for me, I struggled with that for the first like five years. But once I built that team, um, now that most of my immediate management team has been with me for over five years and they're, like crazier than I am. They're so smart and just, they fill in the gaps um, where I need them and they're insane operators, just insanely smart. I learn from them all, all the time. And it, it's like kind of building that team is I think the best way um, that you're going to expand. Like, um, and, and if that's your goal, right. You know, some yeah. people don't want to expand because they don't want to deal with team and, you know, building building teams and being a manager and being a leader, no, like not, that's not for everybody, you know, but I think for, in terms of building like a company and like expanding like that, that is key. Like if you don't like to yeah. like being a leader, then that, then you shouldn't do that. Yeah. You know? I, I totally agree. Like team is, is super significant in mm -hmm. having a successful business because you can't do everything on your own. There's no way. And I knew the first year I opened Makbar. I knew then and there, I can't, I, I'm not going to be able to do this much longer alone because I, I'm, I'm also like really small. I don't have physical ability to do a lot of the work. Yeah. You know, I just, I just don't. Um, so I had to think quick and make a decision and build. And I knew that came from people around me. Like that, that was the only way. I mean, oh, wow, I mean, nine years later, you're still around. So I guess you've done, I know, you've right? done something right. <laughs> but but I don't, I mean, it's, I rarely will do like a lot of like the physical things. Um, but I, I, of course, I miss it. I miss working the line and miss being like super gangster and like, you know, being able to like freaking strain ramen broth. I can't do that stuff anymore. Are you kidding? I would die. Like if I had to strain ramen broth, I, I think I would, I, I would be in bedridden for a week. <laughs> Yeah, but you're super so, gangster on TV now. So, <laughs> oh gosh, that's different type of cooking. Um, I can still, I can still hold my own, obviously, in the kitchen. But like, you know, you know what I mean. It's, it's just different. Yeah. Let, well, while we're here, let's kind of talk about that. Like, I've never been on a TV show, like a cooking show, like Chopped or Beat Bobby Flay. Like, how, what goes through your mind like during those shows? You know it. It's, it's extremely challenging um, in the sense where not only, you know, being a great chef and cook is just a, obviously a given, you know, and even the greatest fail when it comes to kitchen stadium or, yeah. you know, competition say with like 50 cameras on you. And it's because you need extreme like um, concentration and you need you, like you need skill you, and it's like a different type of skill than mm -hmm what you're used to like in a, in a regular kitchen. So it, it's kind of like building that and it takes time too. So it's, it's not like, you know, practice makes perfect, meaning like the more you do, the better you'll get at it as well. So, you know, I, I think that like strategy thinking, like, like thinking about all the things like really matters like you can't just think about like cook you can't just be thinking about cooking you got to think about like if if they're if the cameraman or like if someone stops you in the middle like you you have to be able to adapt and adjust to that so it's a different type of like almost um different skill it's a totally yeah. different um thing so it's do you do you have like rehearsals and stuff and like pre-made things or is it all just like on the spot within the time 
Yeah, it, it's all real life. It's all real time. And um, there are, no, of course, no rehearsals or anything like that. Um, but yeah, everything is real time. Everything that you see is pretty much true. Like on Chopped, you don't know your basket till you get your basket. And then you have <laughs> cook right then and there. Yeah. <laughs> but there are ways that you can practice. Like I practice the shit out of everything because yeah. I'm so neurotic. But when I first did it, like 10 years ago, I think when I was really young, I did it because I didn't know that you, you know, had to build strategy and skill um, to be good at competition. But, you know, obviously being in the field for so long and, you know, having a lot of friends in that world and watching a lot of food TV and, and seeing what these chefs do, you, I know that you have to strategize and you have to practice. And so that's what I did. Like, I remember for Iron Chef, I practiced like a lot. I practiced a lot, like, you know, and that means practicing in real time and making sure that, you know, I had like some staff stop us in the middle or like throw us stuff, something because it might happen yeah. during the actual competition. Um, even in like something like, you know, a secret ingredient that you're, you have 20 minutes to cook. I don't know what that secret ingredient is going to be, but my, I give my, you know, my, my chefs or my team, like, okay, I, I want to practice like four rounds. You guys pick what the ingredient is and surprise me. And so I'll wow. they'll throw the ingredient at me and I'll practice like to a 20 minute dish. You know what I mean? So like, I, it's, it's really about building that kind of like muscle and the strategy and being like really, really intentional about like what you're about to do. And I think that most people don't think that way. Um, but you, you kind of have to, to be good. So, so yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's great insight. Cause I've always wondered, you know, it, it must be pretty stressful and, you know, it's I can so never hard. imagine doing it because you're so nervous as well. Yeah. You know, that nerve, I will never shake. It, it's so, so nervous. And even like Bobby Flay, he tells me that, you know, he shot like, you know, 500 episodes, like 3000 episodes of Beep Up or whatever crazy number it is. And he said every time he steps into battle, he's still nervous, still scared. Like it, it's just that nerve. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but that's I'm sure he he's seen a lot more different scenarios that mm -hmm. he can kind of pull things together, like ad hoc sure. and and make it work. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely experience. I guess. Yeah. Real world, you know, experience is key to definitely right yeah yeah so why wouldn't it be the same um for you know competition series it's like the more you do the better you get it's just how it is right and you just yeah. kind of get used to it too so um yeah but it, it definitely is like being a line cook or a great chef you have to build the skill what's the favorite show that you've been on 1000% iron chef like that for me was always my like end all be all my dream it, it was my dream and when when I got the call to be on the show and I don't do a lot of competition shows like I I don't compete really um but with Iron Chef I I knew like this was like my dream it was yeah. and I took it insanely serious it was the most stressful thing Kezo, because I I was so in my head about it. I was so stressed out. I wanted to be, I wanted it to be perfect. I practiced so much. I overthought everything. And I really, it was kind of like the same feeling as when I first opened Mokbar. It was nice. the same feeling as like opening my first restaurant. It was that kind of that same mindset and the same passion and same like um, in, insanity that you go through. Um, I had that same feeling um, for Iron Chef and I, I haven't felt it since since opening my first restaurant so you know awesome yeah it, it was really special it was really really special so do you have anything in the works that you'd like to do again or is, are you taking oh man now? i'm so tired <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those tv that, like... can get crazy tiring i mean i remember when ramen burger happened i was on like news programs every week and it's just I don't know. I don't it's know how you do brain, it. Right. It's yeah. like, it's so exhausting. Like one shoot day, you like, you want to die. It's like, it's like a long day too. Yeah. Shoot, you know, and it's a different energy that you have to give. So it, it's really hard. And I'm, do, I'm doing more like TV stuff. Um, and I have a lot more stuff in the works, but it's just like, just even thinking about it, I'm exhausted. 
you know, <laughs> like, oh my God, I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> well, recently you were on, was it HBO Max, like a cooking show with Selena Gomez? Yes. How was yeah. that? That was extremely <laughs> difficult. <laughs> I mean, it, it's kind of great, but it's like, it's so fun when you think about it and because of the experience you went through, but really like going through it, like going through the shoot, it's, it's extremely hard, you know, yeah. it, it was hard. It was a struggle. That was like a 16 hour shoot day or something. And it, it was virtual, which made it like harder. You oh, know, there, there were a lot of things, but it, you know, obviously so fun and she was amazing. And the, the HPO team was great. So there's like great experiences around it, but, you know, it's, it's still a grind. I think that's what it is. You know, I, I think, you know, I grinded in the restaurants and now I'm grinding, you know, yeah, doing like more entertainment stuff, but that's also like a grind, like doing like 14 to 15 hour shifts, like shoot days. And it's extremely hard. And you have to be like, as talent, you have to be like super high energy. You can't, yeah. you can't be tired. Like you, you just can't, <laughs> you know? Or, or you'll never be on TV again, you know? Like, well, funny story. It's like when I was on Conan, I remember going to the dressing room and this this lady was taking me everywhere. She was like in the car with me. And I'm just a mellow guy. I don't show much emotion. <laughs> That's how I am, right? And she'd always be like, are you okay? Are you, are you, are you, okay? Are you feeling okay? Can you do this? And I'm like, yeah, I don't care. Like, I'll, I'll get up there and do it. <laughs> You're so cute. But that's what's so, that's yeah. great though, because people like real realness like real shit like if you go up, up there and like act like oh like act all hyper like that you know people are gonna be like who's that <laughs> you know like, like you're you because you're like chill mellow right and nothing phases you yeah it, well everyone thinks that I'm, I'm mellow but inside you know i'm a wreck <laughs> <laughs> what no <laughs> i don't believe it <laughs> <laughs> So what's next for you and restaurants and are you working on any new concepts? Like, is it going to be continue with Mokbar and opening multiple locations? Do you want to do something different? Do you want to create more like Korean food, like from your childhood? I definitely want to do more con different concepts, but I just don't think that I'm ready yet in my career. Mm -hmm. um, to do that, which is, you know, actually a very uh, mature thought because, you know, when I was younger, I always wanted to do like new, new concepts, new projects, like, oh, let's, you know, and that's why like Miss You was born and like yeah. Mock Bar Brooklyn was like totally different concept than like what Mockbar should have been. And, you know, I made a lot of these like mistakes and now I decided I'm like, I'm not gonna be like, I'm gonna take a step back and really think about like when I'm ready for that, because I think my next restaurant um, that's going to be like actual restaurant um, will be my one and only, you know, like I, I don't want to do like 20 restaurants. Like I don't, I think I want to build mock bar to that point. And I think um, uh, in terms of with mock bar, I have like different plans and different goals for, for mock bar. I, I definitely want to go national with that brand. And I decided yes. on that. So I kind of gave up like when I say I gave up on a lot of things with Mokbar, um, it's really not giving up. It's really deciding that this is what Mokbar is and it's destined for and knowing that and not um, making detours from, from what it is. Yeah. So I think that's, that's what I, yeah, that's what I want to do with Mokbar. I, I definitely want to make it national and um, kind of preach the gospel of like you know awesome ramen korean style ramen and um korean food in general and mm. making it accessible um but in terms of like my next restaurant i think i need a little bit more time to get ready and i think that i have to be untied to like other businesses because i yeah. wanted to be like really 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 right you know i want it to be my my one you know my dream restaurant so it might not come for a few years well, that I mean, I'm glad to hear that because you know it it does really uh, need time, you know, to do yeah. what you want. Because New York can kind of get really hectic in a sense where everybody's pushing you and everything's moving so fast. I mean, when I was there, I was like that too. It's like yeah. I 
kind of got addicted to that feeling of, oh, let's try something new. Someone else comes up with a concept. Oh, I'll help you with that. Let's do it. And it just, it's Exciting. never ending. <laughs> yeah. But then, yeah, exactly. Your sanity. And yeah. also like, uh, also, you know, I'm, I'm, I re realize that I'm creating a brand for myself too. Yeah. Uh, separate from like Mokbar. I love Mokbar, but Mokbar, I want it to be its own standalone brand without me and which it it is i think um at this point uh, and for me i'm building a different type of brand and when i do open that one restaurant i want it to be like really special and like mine so i'm like waiting for that so i don't want to dilute and do like 20 million different projects and you know be scattered brain because i'm already scattered <laughs> i'm already pretty scattered brain so i think like i'm taking i'm taking my time with with that but of course, I, yeah. I want to do it so bad. I want to do it now, you know? <laughs> God, I want to, but it's like also, you know, chill, right? Yeah. Well, like a good bowl of ramen, you know, it takes time to develop all the flavors. Yeah. Love that. Like a good bowl of ramen. <laughs> it's forever, by the way, to make yeah. ramen. But my kimchi ramen, because the kimchi aspect of it too, and it takes oh, like, like two weeks to make kimchi. So like between the kimchi fermenting plus like make the broth and then like all top it's just like ridiculous yeah. people don't realize it people don't realize how special <laughs> that bowl <laughs> that like freaking like 15 dollar bowl or i think it's like 16 dollars now which people yeah. complain about saying it's so expensive <laughs> but i'm just like yo if you even knew how much work that we put in love that we put into that bowl exactly gonna, right gosh Right, because labor is so expensive too nowadays. You know, oh it's, my it's god, it's hard. ridiculous. New York is just—I <laughs> can't even. I don't even know anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, aside from food, I've read that you started a CBD-infused sesame oil. How did that come about? Um, that was a passion project. Uh, like I said, I like to dip my toes into many different things. That one was just like a really just like fun side project that I that I picked up because I have a really good friends who um, who do, do the olive oil um, put wheel, which is mm -hmm. used cannabis infused olive oil. And we were like, oh, let's like do a collab you know, project. And then it kind of like snowballed into being like sassy. And I love sassy. It's like so much fun. And I think when cannabis is like fully legalized, especially in like New York area, it, it will be like a really fun thing. And it's just passion because like, I love cannabis culture. That's like my thing. And I, I love it so much. And I think it's just like fun. So yeah. that, that was kind of like a fun side passion project, but that kind of got my feet wet into wanting to do more like CPG. So my my next move is actually I'm launching like a um an actual real like CPG line of um Korean products like gochujang um oh, nice. sesame oil not awesome. in, not infused like just yeah. um just like real quality project uh products that are being imported from Korea. So I, I'm currently um paying a lot of mind and attention to to that. Nice. So I'll be able to buy it on the West Coast too, right? Uh, yes, that is the goal, but I would love to send you some. Okay. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> and every, anytime you need it, I'm, I'm down to send you some, but yeah, I just feel like there's not like great quality, like gochujang out there. That's like more mainstream and yeah. you know, it's, it's what I do. So it just like makes sense to do, yeah. to, to create a product like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, CPGs are always kind of like a dream for me too. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, I work with Miojo USA right now, which is a noodle manufacturer, but they also make the retail ramen kits. So hopefully oh, awesome. it would be a dream to kind of improve that sector as well from a creative perspective rather than just, you know, factory made and, and yeah. I would love to buy some like Kazo ramen kits. <laughs> yeah, hopefully I can get those out there soon. I'll try to make you some anyway. Yeah. Oh my yo. <laughs> oh my god, I love that. I missed it. I missed the time when you were making the kits. And I remember like, oh my God, it like looked so amazing. Your packaging, everything was on point, but you were always sold out. So I was never Oh, you should have told me. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to be that person, you know, to be like, hey, can I get one? You know, <laughs> but I mean, I, I I, was like, oh, it's always sold out. I want one. I want to taste it. 
but yeah, your packaging and everything was like on point. You really need to build on that. That well, that was a fun time, you know. It really, I I learned a lot in mm -hmm. packaging and trying to do it myself, um, because I saw how other people were doing everything real sloppily, mm -hmm. and it, it didn't look good from a packaging perspective. It could have tasted good, but who knows? Um, but yeah, for me, I'm kind of a perfectionist that way. Yeah, where I want to make things look good as well. Yeah. So that that was fun. That was a fun time. I wish I could do it over again, but you know that took a lot of labor as well like mm -hmm. doing all those little tiny um, pouches and oh man it's a different type of beast yeah definitely yeah. but I don't know I guess we need that to kind of survive because <laughs> we're crazy yeah. like that <laughs> uh -huh. yeah yeah I did a lot of weird things during the pandemic too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we all we all did some weird things but um yeah I feel you but some some there's some beauty in in that too just yeah. Like fun. So yeah, I'm glad you guys survived the pandemic, and you know, I'm sure that was a struggle. I don't like. Mm -hmm. Did did Chelsea Market like close completely at that time? We did. We closed for um about three months. We reopened for like takeout. It's a struggle um, reopening, you know, especially as a restaurant because it's like food, and yeah. it's just closing and opening is like really hard because of all the inventory, especially large scale yeah. shop, you're doing high volume. Like, what do you do with all, like for me, closing, fine, whatever. But like, what was so heartbreaking was like, okay, what are we going to do with all the remainder food? And I went, I did this like insane, crazy, like sale. Like I sold all my broths and quarts, sold all noodles, um, kimchi, like all like, just like mass I did like a mass sale and it, it was kind of crazy. Like we sold every piece of thing, food yeah. item in our fridge. Um, so we were able to like salvage the food. At least the food didn't go to waste, which, you know, I was really happy about. But, you know, also reopening was just so hard because then you have to like rebuy all the inventory, which is expensive. Yeah. Know? And if your kimchi takes two weeks, it's like yeah. you have to know two weeks ahead of time when you're going to open, right? Because yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which was like, kind of like really, really hard. So I had to do it like very strategically how we reopened. Like we started with doing like meals for, you know, frontliners. And like, we, we had to like, kind of like think outside the box on, on how to like redo the operations, like get it back into a flow. So would you say New York is kind of back to pre-pandemic or is it still kind of, you know, in that? Oh, it's back. It it's is. been back. Yeah, it, it's been back. Um, I know that, you know, some people say it's like 75%, 80% back, but like it, it it's pretty much back, I would say. And if you don't think so as a business owner, then like that's that's not a good look for you. Yeah. <laughs> like you like you should be You're like doing in, well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you should be in full force right now. Awesome. Yeah. Well, oh man, I I'm just so happy that you came on this podcast with me. It's oh been, my gosh, Case, thank a you long so time. for having me. I know, I know. And you live in California now? Yeah, I live in Orange County, so Southern California. Okay, yeah. Um, so I go to I go out to LA quite a bit. Um, not much so OC, but yeah. obviously the next time, I mean, whenever, I would love to somehow like reconnect. Yeah, definitely. Let's get a, a bite to eat or something. Bowl of ramen? Bowl of ramen. <laughs> I'll make Where's you a bowl of ramen. ramen yeah. <laughs> Yes, please. I mean, I'm sure I was going to say I want to I want to go visit you. But now that you closed your shop, it's like, where am I going to go eat Kazo's ramen now? At my house. At your house. Yes. <laughs> but well, yeah, best ramen? Best uh -huh. ramen in LA? Um, your opinion. My favorites right now are Venice ramen. Okay. And I like Umemura. Umemura is like an old school ramen joint that I've been going to since the eighties with my family. So it's kind of a trip to take my kids there when my parents took me. I um, love that. Yeah. That's, that's and so, sweet. so yeah, like those two, um, Josui in Torrance is also good. Uh, Kashiwa ramen in OC is good. There's, you know, there's, there's always good new ramen shops popping up all the time. Um, but like I said, there's still missing that, like, chintan chicken broth right influence right. um it's still pretty much heavy tonkotsu but 
you know, that's going to change. Like New York changed with that over the mm-hmm. past 10 years. So I think LA is coming back next. Good. Make it happen, Kezo. Yeah. Make it happen. <laughs> Definitely. If you need help with expanding Mokpar, call me up too. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know it, it would be a dream to open it in LA, but I'm like still a little bit scared of California. Yeah. It's like a different beast, you know? Yeah, it's too far from New York. I miss New York. That's the biggest thing. Like, do you ever come back to visit? I haven't been back since I moved, but hopefully soon, you know, everyone's telling me to go out there. So we'll see. It's it's different. It's it's like very different, but, you know, change change is always good. Yeah. I do like wearing shorts all every day. So I mean, yeah. (laughs) There's nothing like California weather, but the ethnic food scene out there is like so good. That's why it's like, that's why I get nervous, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but New York is is tops too. I mean, I, I miss a lot of the New York food, you know, that I was I eating mean, over there. It's just like very different food scene, I, I would say. Mm-hmm. Like New York does certain, like things very right, but like LA's like ethnic food scene is is, you know, yeah but you really have to be one of those foodies that seek out you know different foods in LA because everything's so far apart like in New York it's all concentrated and you can you know go you can go to Flushing and like have a feast of of (laughs) everything yeah I mean I guess I'm just like thinking like um, Manhattan yeah but yeah no obviously there's great ethnic food scene outside of Manhattan yeah 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 well Thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure to have a chat with you and catch up on all this stuff. I think our listeners are, are going to enjoy having the perspective of, of you and, you know, just your experience of telling people not to open a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not to be harsh, but I'm just, that's my gateway of saying like, dude, it's, you you got to expect yeah. the worst because it is. I approach people like that as well. Like, don't do it. And then if you're still going to listen to me, then, you know, you'll, you'll figure it out, but you'll have to have that passion. The grit. Yeah. Yeah. The grit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, so thank you so much for having me. Obviously I I feel like re-inspired now and I want to go eat ramen. Oh my God. Awesome. Craving it now. (laughs) All right. Well, send me a pic if you do. I know I'm going to, I'm going to. All right. Thank you so much, Esther Choi. If you're in New York, you should visit Mokbar and Miss You. And definitely reach out to Esther and check her out on Instagram. Uh, What's your Instagram again? Choi Bites. Choi Bites. (laughs) Choi Bites. And she'll probably be on TV (laughs) on a network near you. So look her up. (laughs) On a network near you. Yeah. (laughs) Could always go on Netflix too. Yeah, Netflix. Okay. All right. Thanks, Esther. Thanks, Kezo. Thank (laughs) you so much. Bye.